1984, a teen left home with the clothes on his back and little else, never to be seen again. His prized vehicle was found one state over, but no witnesses could help identify his whereabouts. Today, we break down this missing persons incident turned cold case in the disappearance of Tim Molnar. This is Red Web. Welcome back, Task Force, to another episode of Red Web, the podcast all about internet mysteries, supernatural phenomenon, and unsolved true crime. I'm your resident mystery enthusiast, Trevor Collins, joining me hearing this case for the very first time, Alfredo Diaz. When I was a teenager, I did also run away from home. Um, It was in the dead of night, and I made it two blocks before a random dog that was outside chased me back home. (laughs) Wait a minute, this dog (laughs) snitched on you? Dude, it was just a dog in the distance, and then I was like, uh, and then it started creeping towards me, and then I ran. And so it started running after me. The Grim. So I just I ran back home. Yeah, no, I wouldn't be messing with and, a dog off a leash at yeah, midnight. What, yeah. Wait, why were you running from home? Let's dive into that cold case. I was like, I'm done with this. No more. <laughs> and then I left. Was it a video game with, related incident I, I or chores what? related? Like, <laughs> barely. I didn't, man, I packed what was essential to me, which was like, I think my Dreamcast at the time. Uh-huh. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I maybe had five bucks and <laughs> no plan. And a dream. No <laughs> friends that live close or anything. It, it, it wasn't going to work out. All right. I was going to survive like two hours and then head home. Let's be I'm You barely honest. made it two minutes. That sounds <laughs> like. That's 100% true. Well, I'm glad you didn't go disappearing off into the streets of San Francisco because uh, you might have been not. on this podcast. I uh, could have been, but I, I did not. Yeah. Did not. So, um, so we're talking about Tim Molnar. Tim Molnar. Uh, uh, found stayed away. His car was found a state away. Um, Man, it's still just, too many beans, but yeah, it's an interesting case. I think it's like so interesting to me how even though the duality, sometimes it feels like if you wanted to commit a murder, or a crime, it's mm-hmm. like impossible. Right. All the tracking, we'll find the technology. You. You're making a great point. They'll be like, I we found a hair on a piece of rug right. that was two miles wide. Yeah, dude. And we, and we got you. Yeah. And then you'll have cases like this where it's just like they disappeared. They were never found. We have no idea, no clue. It's gone. We're the bloodhounds. Yeah. You know? Well, that's part of this case is that when the police are contacted, and this is not spoiling too much, but when the police were contacted, it seems they did very little to help with this case. We'll kind of expand on that a little bit. I'll let Christian kind of kind of expand that arena. But otherwise, we don't really have much on the investigation from their point of view. I wonder if it's in the sense of like they, the police, mishandled the hell out of this. Mm. Or it was one of those things where, hey, we got to wait a certain amount of hours it could turn up again. A dog could chase him back home. Right. We don't know. Right. But like, I, I, I get it. Right. Cause I'm sure that was implemented because of the fact that a lot of people are like, my, my child is missing. They ran away from home and then they come back. Like they, they, they police gather all these resources. And then all of a sudden, like the, the kid just walks back. Right. I was at a friend's house. I was gone for a couple hours and I was mad. Right. It, you know, it's, it's hard to say in a these moments of, without hindsight. Yeah. Right? A lot of people break off. For a couple hours, cool off, and then have a cool right. off here, and then come back. Oh, he could just be, you know, being a kid, yeah. being a young adult, as it were. Yeah. Yeah, it's hard to say. It could be one of those cases where the police are just going, well, this is a young adult doing their young adult thing. Yeah. Let them go. Maybe, you know, they could have just driven off. You'll hear from them. Right. Let's not look into this. Again, it's, it's very easy with hindsight to look back on a missing persons case and go, why didn't they help? But you're right. There are so many other elements that the police are feeling out in the moment, yeah. you know. But with that said, let's dive into that moment. Let's talk about the disappearance, and I'm going to wind you all the way back to January 24th, 1984. 19-year-old Tim Molnar drove his younger brother, Frank, to junior high school in Daytona Beach, Florida. Tim then planned to drive to his class at Embry-Riddle Aeronautical University, but he realized he forgot his bicycle back at home. So he went back home, received his bike, and that was the last that he would ever be seen was driving off in his prized vehicle, the Dodge Dart. Oh, that's going to ask what it was. Yeah, leaving with his bicycle. Now, when Tim didn't return home, his family contacted everybody that they knew, friends and family, to ask where he might have gone. Did he go over to an aunt or uncle's house? Did he see any friends, etc.? Does anybody know? Now, in a later article 
by the local newspaper, The News Journal, Tim's mother said that, quote, you could set your clock by him. This was because he had always returned home at the same time each and every day. So he's very punctual. That's what's so unfortunate, right? Because I can only imagine this. Is, I'm still in this train of thought. Like going to the costume, like, look, he's always punctual. He's mm-hmm. always on time. And they're just like, we got to wait the time limit. We got to right. wait the time limit. So it's like, no, 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 no. Like, this isn't usual. There's something up. You know, I can only go by what I know. And this is what I know the norm is. And this is way out of the norm. Right. And by this point, too, they've contacted everyone they know or that Tim yeah, could know. that too. And they're not hearing anything. And so by this point, they do, in fact, call the police. This they, is where they, they say, we yeah. need to escalate this. They, they did their due diligence, which I think is very nice, right? Like, contact everybody. Right. Uh, see if someone showed up somewhere. But, damn, that is chilling, right? Yeah. You call well, everybody, nothing, and they're always on. That's, like, just putting myself in the headspace because I, I like doing that during mm-hmm. these episodes. That's where I think feel like emotions would literally be bubbling and building inside of me and then I would try so hard to put a cap on that. Right. And to complicate it most people I would say that are at least aware of these types of cases know that the first 48 hours are the most important important. because the longer time goes on the less likely you are to find the individual if they are in fact missing. Of course you know there's lots of other instances where the person just doesn't want to contact and then after a few days they come back home and you know, we talked about similar cases like that, but... Do they, we know what the percentage drop-off is of oh, finding a right. person after 48 hours? Like, what are the odds of... Yeah. Because we've always known, right, from, like, media and, like, all these different, like, shows or, like, a podcast like this that talk about, like, oh, you know, 40, after 48 hours, it's drastically... Right. Di- like, harder to find someone. Right. I, I kind of wonder, like, what that is or if that's even, like, knowledge is out there. Christian, our man in the chair, typing away. Not saying anything that gives a concrete percentage, unfortunately, but yeah, I mean, yeah, to your point, all sources say that, you know, the chances drastically decrease after that time window's passed, mm. but not seeing like any. No one wants to step forward and give a number. Interesting. No, I want to dig into this. I know, like, I, like, I'm just very curious, you know what I mean? Is it literally less like. 90% to like 15%. It's like, Jesus Christ, please do everything you can in the first 48 hours. Yeah, I mean, I, I feel like maybe this is a Mandela effect of its own, but I feel like, and this is all just like my personal experience. Yeah. Like I've heard a lot of like the first 48 hours are vital. And that is the case because the longer time goes on, yeah. the more vectors of travel there are. Mm-hmm. You can get to a plane, train, automobile, whatever. And by 48 hours, you could have traversed the globe, right? So it's true. It's, it's about like how far away you can get in that time. But I feel like rattling around in the youth of my brain, somewhere back in the crevices I haven't looked at before in my mind palace, that there is some sort of kind of statistic where cases remain, like the longer time goes on, the more uh, those cases stay open or like tend to remain unresolved as it were. I don't know if there is a consistent or a like guaranteed percentage as you're finding Christian, but yeah. like, but it does seem to, there's something like that in, in my mind. I don't know. The closest thing I can find is according to the FBI, is about 70% of all reported missing persons are found or voluntarily returned within that 48 to 72 hours. It's not exactly the number you're looking for, yeah. but, but that's an interesting stat. Something similar. Also, that's from the F to the B to the I. Okay. Right. So he's like, well, this is I'm like, okay, Christian. I thought he was going to come out as like this YouTuber said. He's like, <laughs> uh, it's, uh, it, it's not. I mean, it is. It's from the FBI. Right. And I'm like, right. Okay. Great it's, source. It's not like Aunt Susan who loves true crime. Right. Goes, I would guess. Right. This book club says. <laughs> yeah. Hold on. Book club. Oh, book. book club. Red Web Talk Book Club. Red Web Book Club. Become a first <laughs> member. Go to redwebpod.com slash first. You can watch the upcoming exclusive Kind of little side podcast that we got going on. Sweet we talk about is. all horror pop culture right now. We're talking about The Nice House on the Lake. It's yep. a very good series. You very go. good. Anyway, it's the best way to support the show. But with all that talked about and said, side tangents aside, we are in that very critical time where the parents are now saying, hey, Tim is very punctual. Nobody that we know knows where he is. They then officially inform the police. And that night, chillingly enough, the Molnar family gets at least two phone calls And when recounting these phone calls, they assume that they were long distance, though we can't ourselves confirm or deny that angle. But when they answered the phone, they didn't hear anyone's voices. Instead, they just heard static. And so they kind of kept on the line until maybe it was 
until the line was closed. And they say, okay, well, maybe that was him. Maybe he was too afraid to want to say something. This again is them recounting this experience. Yeah. They got another call, a second call. They answer it once again, nothing but static. And again, it's just what they believe to be Tim. They don't know if it was Tim. The timing kind of works out. They didn't get these calls ever again, but they believe it might have been Tim trying to get help or perhaps being too nervous. Man. We don't really know the underlying reasons why he's disappeared. And again, we we never will probably. And do and you got to think that that's something that the family is going to have to sit and not know the true answer for, for the rest of their life? Right. That's... I mean, that could be... It's a chilling case. Yeah, it could top be... To Tim calling and wanting to reach out. Uh, something even worse could have happened to Tim. You know, someone could be a hostage situation type thing or anything like that. Or or he's, I don't know, somewhere where he can't, they fell and he's, you know, maybe went to the woods and oh, he fell God. and he's trapped and he has his phone and he calls Their and minds he can't are talk. racing. Like, oh. My mind is racing Your and I'm, is racing. I'm not related to Tim. Right. You know what I mean? So, like, oh, that's just. Yeah. So again, this is kind of in that first day. They've talked to the police now. They've got these calls. And over the following days, of course, they're now going out into town and they're putting up these missing persons posters just to see if anybody in town has witnessed him or his car or anybody that looks like him. And they receive no information, no witnesses to this case. And I'll tell you now, throughout this entire case, there's maybe only one witness and we'll get to them. But otherwise, no one's really seen him leave town, right? So now three weeks go by and they receive in the mail a receipt. It's from their credit card company and it showed that Tim had actually used one of their credit cards that he kept in his wallet at a, it's not too nearby, but it's nearish enough. It's in Lake City, Florida. There's a gas station where the credit card was used in order to purchase some gas. It's the same day. The receipt is titled the same day that he went missing. It's about 130 miles northwest. So Daytona Beach is right there on the coast oh, of Florida. He was trekking. On the east. He's kind of northwest up a little bit inland. And so they're like, great. We we have at least a spot that he may have been seen. They go there or at least maybe called. And it appeared that he had purchased gas for his prize 1969 Dodge Dart. And when Tim's mother, Helen, visited the gas station, the attendant confirmed that he had been there. But it appeared that he was alone. The gas station attendant is saying, listen, he did buy gas. I saw this car. I saw this individual. Nobody else there. Nothing else nefarious seemed to be going on. And they had also discovered that Tim had withdrawn all of his savings, save for $10 left in his account. Well, keep the account open. Yeah. Keep the account um, open, I guess. I mean, that, that speaks to me as like, he truly wanted to run away. You know, you take it out, you, you liquidate out like your digital asset right like your account and then from there you have hard cash hard to trace it does feel very much like Like, a person on the run I'm on the run I'm I'm getting out of here I'm leaving and so I started exploring that with Jillian and Christian who kind of helped research and put all this kind of collate all this information Mm -hmm. and nothing online that we could find kind of indicated why he would want to run away of course there are many reasons people might have tucked away secretly for sure but we kind of explored the idea was like was there a strained relationship with the parents? Was there anything kind of darker going on? Obviously, I could Tim have just wanted to run away with like, could a, be. you know, to a, a girlfriend long distance or right. something. Right, you, like you know what I mean? Everyone's trying to flee to Florida. Floridians are trying to flee to the snow. Who knows? Maybe he's up, like he's up for some cold weather. Why I, is everyone trying to flee to Florida? I don't, I don't know. I'm from the Midwest. That's just the destination. Oh, okay. yeah. We, we all try to escape the winters, but. I mean, and you know, he had a brother too, and and we just basically couldn't find any information as to say, yeah. is is there a motive as to why he would run? We just don't have one, but it's still viable. Okay. So after discovering that, of course, you know, that starts to kind of fuel some of those theories, but about four and a half months now after the disappearance, let's see, January, February, March, April, May, May into June, right? Molnar's parents received a letter from an auto impound company stating that Tim's car was found in Atlanta, Georgia. Oh, so if you're not ATL. from the U.S. states, oh. that's north. That's the state north of Florida. And Atlanta is probably two-thirds up the state, right in the middle there. So it was in a parking lot, and it was one block away from the Greyhound bus station. And it had been there, apparently, ever since January 30th, which was six days after Tim's disappearance. But it was at like a Greyhound station? About a block away. 
And so, you know, we're putting two and two together. This yeah. is kind of how it's reported, but it opens the idea that he parked, hopped on a bus and went somewhere. Yeah. Or it could just be coincidence. Yeah. It's hard Greyhound, to say. their motto is, we'll take you there. Is so, it really? No. <laughs> <laughs> no. I, th- I thought it was, get there your way. <laughs> With us. <laughs> get there our way. Get there. <laughs> that's the, no dogs. Don't, That's their slogan. No dogs. Greyhound, um, not a dog to be seen. I mean, I've I've taken Greyhound when I was a kid. Um, living in SF to go to like LA. I took Megabus. Oh my god! Yeah, one yeah, buck one got me buck. from from Albany to New York City, baby. How? How is that like? I don't viable? know, but it. What, you got to get there early, anyway. <laughs> but um, yeah. I mean, like that was it was a cheap way to. To get around. Yeah. It definitely was. So, I mean, if he drained his savings and then is trying to stretch his dollars, all right, you're you're in a good spot. Yeah. I mean, I don't, like, would there be a record of, like, would there be a camera there? It's a good question. You know what I mean? This you know, is early, the 80s. mid-80s. So this kind of starts to fall into the realm of, like, what did we really have back then? Right. Like, it's not so far back where, like, well, security cameras were a thing. Right. So. We weren't we weren't starting cars with those little like like rotator things. Oh my god! Or do you just remember? Even, maybe we were huh? even, even <laughs> not so not so far back. You remember just like manually rotating your window? Yeah. Thank God we don't do that. Yeah, anymore. <laughs> I, I'd hop in my my G-Paw station wagon, you know, with the wood paneling yeah. down the side, and then he know, he'd exactly. pull up to the to the drive through and he go. <laughs> <laughs> and he like crank the window down. That's why when you when you Dude, mime it now, thing. you crank it because well, if you mimed pushing a button, you just go roll down the window. You just yeah, it's well, that's why they yeah. call it roll down the window. Right. Oh my god! It's like when you save a document, you clip a, click a floppy disk. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Weird. Yeah, it's weird how things hang over. But yeah, either way, kind of kind of coming back now. His car was found six days after his disappearance, but yep. frustratingly wasn't reported to the family until four and a half months later. And this was from an auto impound company. And my mind started racing. And so I started working with Jillian and I was Googling away and I was asking questions like, how long does an auto impound company, specifically in Georgia, keep a hold of a car before they could sell it or get rid of it or whatever? And it sounds like it's only 30 days. And so I was trying to delineate some sort of timeline from that. And we were also trying to figure out how they know it was there on January 30th. Was there a witness to that, et cetera? And it gets it gets a little hairy. Yeah. I also feel like car impound lots aren't exactly like the smoothest running, like up to code businesses oh, type God, things. No. You know what I mean? I'm lucky my alignment's okay after being towed one time. Oh. They just kind of yank yeah, them out. Yeah, they kind of just yank it and go. And then they just like throw it in there. It's like, all right, we'll got to pay for it. Yeah. Damn. That is... I mean, upsetting, right? If you're a family member, you're you're absolutely upset. Yeah, that the time is of the essence, and you lost four months. Absolutely terrible. I mean, that's the 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 main thing that links him to where he's going is literally his vehicle. Yeah, they could have found. I mean, Damn. we'll get to it in a second here, but like they went to Atlanta to figure out. Okay, let's confirm it's his car. Yeah, let's take a look inside and see if there's any sort of clues as to where he went, why, whatever. But of course. The clues that they ended up finding, if you can call them clues, would have been very valuable potentially within that first week, not oh, almost half a year later. They found stuff in the car. That they was get potentially some stuff. I'll, let's break it down. So they went to Atlanta and they saw the car. They found his wallet, ID, and credit card. There was oh. no, yeah, there was no money in the wallet, and also the expensive stereo equipment that was installed into the car had been removed alongside the bicycle that he took from home that day and his expensive mechanical equipment that he used to upkeep his car were all missing. So essentially his valuable personal items were taken, but his personal ID, the wallet- glass wasn't broken. Glass wasn't broken. So like that kind of, to me, rolls out that it was left and then broken into. He could have left it unlocked and said, I don't care, but that's weird. Yeah. Maybe he pawned it off even more money yeah maybe maybe this at this point it had been handed off to somebody else it's just we'll go into the theories later on but what we're exploring here with these questions are essentially questions that may never be answered and like the theories don't even come close to there's just so many open variables that could send this case into so many different directions well 
he just isolated himself so well. So quick, too. And yeah, so fast. And so, it like, anything and anyone that he comes into contact with is either a stranger or a random coincidence. So yeah. you really, you, there's nothing to follow. Right. So continuing on with that train of thought, and again, kind of reiterating, we, we looked online to see if we could find anything regarding the traditional police investigation that would have perhaps followed the initial call about Tim Molnar's case. We couldn't find much information on that front. This episode of Red Web is sponsored by Shopify. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is a global commerce platform that helps you at every stage of your business. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. And you can sell with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. And you can sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Hey, you got that Red Web sippy cup? What about a squonk? Or maybe even baby hands? Well, guess what? Shopify helped us get those to you in your hands. So thanks, Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash redweb, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash redweb now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash redweb. But with that said, I think, again, this is perhaps the only witness, as it were, to this entire case, and it's someone halfway across the country. Let's break down now kind of the Unsolved Mysteries episode on this case. Oh, as they kind of, good show. Yeah, very good show. And they kind of, as you know, they kind of dissect some cases and then put it out to the audience that watches if you have any information, yeah. let us know. But this was interesting. So, so let's dive into it. On November 17th, 1995, an episode of Unsolved Mysteries featured Tim Molnar's disappearance. The Molnar family allowed this story to be covered in hopes that, of course, it would bring any sort of information regarding Tim and yeah. his location since even though it had been almost almost 12 years they had not given up oh my god i mean there are cases where people have been missing for like even more than that and they show up absolutely absolutely now the episode pointed out that just weeks after tim's disappearance a different family member had passed away and had left him fifty thousand dollars and in their will and so the family was kind of hoping that maybe this would draw him back that like you know in order to receive it he would have to appear somewhere to claim it and they were hoping that not to like lord it over him or like hold it out like bait or something, but hopefully by raising awareness of this, he wouldn't have known or yeah. if he was out, you know, somewhere in the nation that home, come money. home, you know, like see your family. There's this money waiting for you. You know, if you are trying to start a new life, maybe this could help, etc. Yeah. Now the episode re-aired. No, nothing came of that initial airing, I do want to say, but the episode re-aired on January 31st, 1996, just over 12 years later. Wow. And a viewer named Stephen Cull contacted the Unsolved Mysteries team after watching that night. Now, Cull claimed that he recognized the show's description of the clothes that Tim was wearing and recalled that they were the same clothes that he had seen on a body that he found in a secluded area of the woods in Neosho, Wisconsin. This is about 1,200 miles north now, up in the Midwest. But this was like a dead body that he found in the woods? Yes. So oh. he, he claimed to, Cole claimed to have discovered the body frozen in a sheet of ice in a pine plantation, just basically like a farm for pine trees, yeah. sometime around 1986. So now this Jeez. is two years after Tim went missing or a decade previous to this Unsolved Mysteries case. Whoa. Yeah. But going back a bit, just to kind of like get us closer to what we're talking about, this is about 50 miles northwest of Milwaukee. And a note here, AP News via the Wisconsin State Journal reported that it was near Merton, Wisconsin in 1996. A subtle kind of difference in locale uh, that I wanted to at least note for transparency, but this location is about, it's about a 20 mile difference between the two spots, but otherwise kind yeah, of this- Yeah, still the same general Yeah, the area. rural area of Wisconsin. Neo Show is just kind of like a smaller village, so maybe they just reported on nearer, mm -hmm. bigger. Anyway, so yeah, 
Cole calls in, says, oh my God, I recognize those clothes. I found somebody, a body in fact, frozen in a sheet of ice in a pine forest in the middle of Wisconsin. And the person was wearing the same clothes that they disappeared in. And this was, he says, in 1986, sometime. Sometime in 1980, it could have been January. Yeah. We when don't you know. first started talking about like someone be like, I remember the clothes. I'm like, God, my right. first initial gut check instinct was, come on. What were, what were you going to say was the mm-hmm. bus driver where mm-hmm. I was on the Greyhound bus and I remember someone with those clothes. Um, you find a body out frozen in the uh, the woods or kind of like this uh, little like what pine farm. Yeah. Uh, you'll remember. Yeah, for sure, hundred percent. I was like, you're gonna, you just you're, recounted me the other day exactly. You're gonna remember. Yeah, I was like, how would you recognize right. that after that, ten that, years? I'm like, come on, t- oh yeah. yeah, I recognize that. Oh yeah, I saw him at a Seven Eleven. Like what? Yeah. So, um, but you know, you'll remember a body you found. Now, I do want to come back to something real quick. I want. I flagged my own little note here, but when I say two years later, 1986, I'm kind of inferring it could be early 1986. It could very well be late 1985. The very specific time frame is difficult to say okay. because when he called into Unsolved Mysteries, he just said 10 years before the episode, which mm-hmm. would then make it early 1986. Yeah. So we're kind of assuming the timeline's kind of bouncing here. So so I would assume it'd be like two winters later-ish. Okay. Now with that said, what stands out to me is the fact that he's wearing the very same clothes. He didn't leave with any other clothing. He left with the clothes on his back and he's found frozen two years later I'm wondering, again, I'm getting ahead of the theories. I'm wondering if he passed sometime soon after his disappearance and then stayed there, but his condition would be notable, right? Like if he's frozen. Yeah, it would be. You know, Wisconsin doesn't say frozen year round. Right. Do we know the condition, Christian, of the body? No. Damn, that would tell us so So much. much. So much. But he's got the same clothes. That stands out so vividly. Like years later, he just threw on the exact same outfit yeah i don't know i don't know like i got outfits that i like but even if i ran away and had no money i feel like i would eventually try and scrounge something up to at least change out of them so that way they're just not as dirty anymore sure a couple years that's dirty as heck yeah now a lot of task force i can feel the urge saying like well what if this is a memory that's false right or what if this is something else what if this is a you know anyone else. Well, Cole also informed Waukesha County's medical examiner, Paul Konachek. On the body, they found a key. And to be absolutely certain in retrospect that this was Tim, the Molnars sent a copy of their house key to compare it against, and it matched exactly. The Molnars never changed the locks on their doors. So it's not like, you know, after 12 years, locks had changed. They always kept it the same just in case Tim Molnar ever wanted to come home. The key that he had on his person would always unlock the front door. So that was a way to kind of validate that it was perhaps him. On top of that, Konachek later confirmed that the body was Tim Molnar through DNA testing. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Uh, I'll be honest, I wasn't expecting for us to get all that. Yeah. So it's like we have the beginning and we have the end. Just don't know the With one blip in the middle. Like, what happened? It's it's frustratingly broken as a case trying See, to figure it, out what happened man it's just never satisfied on this damn show oh yeah um because a lot of times we will have cases mysteries whatnot you know this is why it's on this show um majority are unsolved but this is one where it could have very easily been falling back into the rhythm of the norm which is the person who was missing never find them again this person went missing we found them their dna tested Yep. So we know it's them, right? This yep. is solid proof evidence right here. It's cemented. And didn't think the mystery would be what happened during that time. Yeah. This is one of those cases, to your point exactly, we know the ultimate destination, but we don't know the sinister path that got us there, the confusing path that raises so many questions. And re- I was sitting here like, no way, more the same. We definitely had the same clothes. Yeah. That, that to me raises so many questions about timeline. Yeah. Like, I'm just thrown. But then what's like you were saying earlier, the, it's not going to stay, it's not Antarctica, right? Yeah. This isn't Mount Everest. It's not going to be just, people aren't going to be frozen solid. And then that's just, you know, I'm on Everest. There, you go, go up the trail of Everest. You Green see, boots. You, yeah. Some you people see, are literal are landmarks. Frozen landmarks. Right. Or landmarks are 
milestones, the, whatever the, I, for, I forget, yeah, markers. Re- markers, yeah, yeah. Which, yeah. Which is terrifying. Right. But because, you know, it's frozen, then they're frozen there, and it's dangerous to take them out, etc. Um, that's not Wisconsin. No way. So I just, it's wild that we don't know the condition of the body, though. Yeah, we, that's we, it's like it's DNA it's tested, it's confirmed that's that's this person. But yeah, I guess that just that information got lost publicly or whatnot. But I think I think so. This Damn. this was reported at the time, so that's how. Man, actually, Christian, just to make sure I'm not misspeaking, help me close the gap on the time frame. So obviously, Unsolved Mystery comes out, the re-air comes out January 31st, 1996, and Stephen Cole then says, "Oh my gosh, this happened 10 years ago." And so was the key then analyzed because that was somewhere in like a vault somewhere, like this body was reported, but they didn't know who it was. And so that was basically this person was two missing persons cases at the same time until 96 when they kind of collected together. And then they said, oh, okay, we have, did they have the body or did they already just have the DNA test results? They had the key kind of in a locker. That we don't know. And that's one of the frustrations with the the story of this case is yeah there are so many questions like that that we just for whatever reason a lot of this is not a uh, written record yeah so I don't, well, we don't know if the if it's what you're saying the key was just kept somewhere because you know they had a john doe and just didn't want to discard any of the the belongings mm-hmm. we we really don't know yeah unfortunately. that's super frustrating i mean i think what happened is he reported it when he found it they just didn't yeah. know who it was they collect some evidence and then 10 years later they kind of combine the evidence with this other case and then they go oh this is this person but dude i gotta be honest there's more paperwork involved with going to the bathroom at the gas station than there is here in this case i know i gotta talk to the guy up front i gotta get the key i gotta get the permission i got the password and everything and then i get in there and then you walk over then you forget what it was i forget what it was go back inside ask him the question go back in there hot filled with flies i gotta get out of here there's no toilet paper oh my god (laughs) okay okay i'm moving on so vivid but so true (laughs) okay so now we know kind of, again, the beginning and the end of this otherwise really upsetting case. The Molnar family was able to hold a memorial service in Daytona Beach now that they knew that their son had passed. Yeah. But so Closure. many, of course, and so many questions, though, remain open. Who called that night that Tim went missing? Did it have anything? That's to, right. Yeah. Did it have anything to do with this case? Why was his body in Wisconsin? How was he or why was he wearing the same clothes? Uh, is that where he died or is that maybe where he was put, placed, yeah. where he was put? Was he wearing the same clothes until death? Was he a victim of some sort of kidnapping? Again, all things that we're going to talk about in the theories. But another question is, why did he abandon his car? Was it cheaper to go by bus? Was the bus not even in play? Is that just like a coincidence that he was nearby the station? Why didn't the towing company call sooner? All sorts of questions surround this case in cloud Otherwise, it's a very emotional, straightforward case, I guess. Yeah. I mean, we just don't know. We know A, we know Z. We don't mm-hmm. know any of the letters in between. Yeah. And we'll never know. It could have been so many. I mean, really, it's just like pick your imagination and run with it, right? We'll, we'll yeah. get to the theories in a second. But like, it, it, it could have been anything. This, this, this could be written so many different ways, depending on who the writer is. Like, which task force member is... What things you want to lean on. Yeah, what task force member is writing this story. Could be a kidnapping. It could be, like, a, a accidental death. It could be anything. Yeah. We're going to break down each of those theories. We're going to start with the runaway case that Tim Molnar might have run away. In fact, this is what the Molnar family believes their son did. We're going to talk about the idea of foul play that could involve kidnapping. And honestly, we have a third theory that comes from a subreddit where someone in September of 2023 went online and kind of felt that they had new information regarding this case. And that one, I haven't dive in huh. it, taken a dive into yet. I kind of want to react alongside you yeah, with that yeah, one. Yeah, yeah, um, Because otherwise, I know of this, this... What would they know and why are they going to Reddit for it? Right. Okay. And and the reason why we're backloading it is because how much can you believe with online? You know, yep. some things come to, come to pass that you're like, oh, that's something that only so-and-so would know but then other things come to pass where i've seen people in the comments go oh yeah um steve cole is my cousin i know these things and so you know it's hard to it's hard to to be a part of the mystery right so for the sake of like thoroughness completion we'll we'll talk about that one and i'll react to 
to that theory with you, but let's dissect the the family's belief that Tim ran away from home to start a new life. So shortly after going missing, he took out all of his money from his bank. As you kind of indicated, that does seem to be someone who, I'm going to collect my funds. I don't yeah. want a digital footprint. Mm-hmm. I'll keep this you know, account open because I don't want to deal with the paperwork of closing it to take that last 10 out. Yeah, I'll just take what I can and go. Now, in fact, referring to that $10, some people believe that it was left there because maybe he was going to return. I think your instinct is maybe more accurate where it would close your bank account to take out that last few dollars. Yeah. Or also, I mean, I don't know. It's not enough money to leave in there in case you have like some little subscriptions or whatnot. Yeah. But you also don't want to like come back. You're like, I'm I'm back. And then you got all these fees. Right. You're like, oh, I'm some, I'm, I'm Jim now. Never mind. I'm gone again. Yeah. So... Interestingly, of course, he did not bring any other clothes. So, you know, he may not have intended to leave for long. He left behind his identifying information, of course, in his wallet. He took all of his other personal items, like his brand new car stereo, his mechanical equipment. This indicated to the family that perhaps he wanted to start a new life. And the car itself, Mm -hmm. while valuable, while his prized possession has a VIN number and would have been easily traceable around the nation as a 1969 Dodge Dart. I feel like you could sell it, right? I don't know. Is that another witness? Again, under under the guise of this theory, if he's trying to hightail it, he's like, man, I already swiped the credit card, and this guy already talked to me. You left the vehicle. It's true. They're going to find the vehicle. I would have found someone somewhere to be like, listen, you can have my car. I'll just take whatever cash you got just to get something. So you get something. Well, maybe he did. You know, maybe maybe that's why the car was there. I don't know. Yeah. But I guess it would have been not impounded. I don't know. We could again have moved two the car. few information yeah, pieces. Yeah. yeah. Again, like I said, depending on the writer, it's a whole other story. Yeah. Like, what if somebody else did have it and they're like, "Fine, I'll take a stereo-free car," and then they're driving it. It gets impounded, and they go, "Well, it's not mine legally, so." So bye. Bye. Yeah. Now, he was passionate about cars, so his family did flag that it would have been interesting to leave his car behind. But again, if we're talking about him wanting to start a new life, maybe have a new identity, maybe that would make sense as to why, again, he left his very distinctive car behind and his ID behind. His car was found, again, near that Greyhound station in Atlanta, Georgia. So maybe he took a bus, paid with cash to have that basically untraceable footprint. I know you asked yeah. earlier, but you buy a, a ticket with cash or mid eighties, yeah, heading out to wherever. You could skip town. Now it's like, give us an email. What's your social and right. phone number? Again, comes back to the paperwork. We all get subscriptions and emails. Yeah. And so the family's thinking that maybe he intended to move to Wisconsin. Maybe that's how he ended up there. And again, that was about 50-ish miles northwest of Milwaukee, which is one of the few major cities. And so like, it is an interesting spot to be found. So maybe he wanted a real life. Again, I'm just kind of musing here on the theory, but the Molnar family said that Tim was generally happy. They were not aware of any issues that would lead him to leave. His mother, Helen, described him as, quote, quiet and sensitive and said that he was doing well in school. I mean, he was going to university for aeros- aeronautical engineering. Yeah, you said that at the beginning. I went, oh, okay, it's kid's smart. Yeah. So, you know, it stands out to a lot of people as, as strange. Though. You never truly know. You never truly know. You, you really people can don't. be going through all sorts of stuff yeah. and you might not see the signs. Yeah. I know you jokingly mentioned it, but, you know, we are in the mid to early 80s, so we don't really have a prolific internet footprint or, you know, room chats or, or anything like that. We've talked about some of those early internet kind of mysteries and, and how it all looked, but like Usenet forums and stuff. But and I feel like it. Maybe he had a pen pal. Maybe he had, True. you know, uh, it's just a someone to... distance thing or something. Yeah, who knows? Um, and I, I feel like, I mean, this might just be me, but I really feel like it. it's only been like the past decade or two where I guess like as a society, we've kind of really come to like nurture and understand and be vocal about like depression. Yes, you know 100%. What I mean? Like... You go way back when it's like, especially for like, don't men. go that far back. You don't, you yeah. just don't talk about it. <clears throat> yeah. Not even all that long yeah. ago. You know, yeah. just deal with it. Don't Grow talk up, about it. That deal kind with of it. Stuff. Yep, exactly. And so, like, this, I mean, what, late 80s is still during those times where, I mean, nowadays it's like everyone's like, depression's a thing. Like, everyone's very supportive of therapy. There's all kinds of ways to get therapy. Um, it's l- not shunned on, you know, 
you go back to the eighties, like, Oh, you're taking therapy. Like what's wrong? Like what's wrong with you? What's happening? What's going on? Like you got some issues or, you know? And so, yeah, they totally could have been, Tim totally could have been going through a bunch of stuff and just no one knows. Yeah. And that's not to fault anybody in play here, but it's just to elucidate that. Yeah. You you just don't know. Yeah. And it could try to think of all the different angles. Yep. And it could be a huge element as to why perhaps he ran away. So, That's the runaway theory. Mm. The other main theory was that Tim was involved in some kind of foul play. You know, there's there's no theories for why Tim ended up in Wisconsin that will, I think, forever remain a question. Yeah. You know, perhaps, and again, under the arena of this particular theory, we can draw some assumptions to kind of stitch together the few remaining pieces of info we have, but perhaps he was forced to take out all of his cash from his bank account by someone else. However, again, the gas station attendant did say that he was alone. I was kind of musing it's possible that, you know, the gas station attendant was coerced to say that he was alone. There could be violence. Again, I am extrapolating a world out of few pieces of information, but someone could be made to to shut up about it and just say, if anyone asks, say he was alone. Bada boom. But it is possible that Tim met with somebody in Atlanta after the gas station or that somebody interfaced with him after he had this gas station run in. So, you know, maybe while he was still in Florida, it was a situation where he's just driving somewhere. And then Mm -hmm. after that, then the foul play kicked in. Then somebody else that had nefarious intentions stepped into the story. But we don't really have any other theories on that. I mean, also, too, like, the thing is, things aren't weird until they're weird, right? Mm -hmm. Someone could have walked in with Tim and that could have been the person that was holding him hostage and just was the, and then, you know, essentially the person holding him hostage was like, Hey, act like we don't know each other. And then that person's going in to get like uh, a Slurpee. And then Tim's going in to go get gas. You know what I mean? And you're like multiple people in the store is not weird. You know, they don't interact with each other. The gas station clerk isn't going to think otherwise. Right. You know? And so really it's like, he was with somebody. It just, they just wanted to look radar. like it. Yeah, it didn't look yeah. like it. There's no reason to suspect. I mean, like, right. that this person would Every- be hyper vigilant <laughs> that one minute, that one day. Right, yeah. You know? So, kind of continuing on, kind of moving the moment that this foul play might have happened, it could have been, or excuse me, moving the kind of angle of the foul play, I should say. He may have been involved with some kind of crime or drugs and had to use his money because of whatever situation was unfolding with that. Again, theorizing here. These are the theories that are out there, I should say. And because of that, had to sell everything of value, draw all of his money. But the wrinkle with that is, again, mm. the car wasn't sold. That's the most valuable object That's in play. That's what I'm play. saying. It's worth so much money. So, you, know, you can maybe, It's not like you can't sell a car, okay? Right. You can sell a car. You can get a car out of your hands. You can. Um, so then some people start to go, again, was he trying to come back? Uh, you know, again, I feel like while while it is car. a popular theory to expand on, my personal opinion is that we are potentially expanding into dangerous territory. We're in like thin atmosphere, right? We're we're oh, leaning super, on a lot of assumptions, thin. very much assumptions. Um, which again, I understand why that's the case. We have so few pieces to go off of, but I don't want to go too far, you know, off into the storytelling of it all. So others have theorized that maybe he left his car behind because he then went hitchhiking to continue this journey on. And again, maybe he wanted to come back at some point. I didn't even think about, yeah, he could have hitchhiked and then even Mm -hmm. then then run into the wrong person or even just not run into the wrong person at all. Just that's how he traveled. Yeah. Traveled or or foul play. Again, these are all elements that are perfectly viable. We just don't know the validity or, or likeliness. So eventually, you know, under this theory, however it might've happened, he may have been killed in those early days or weeks or months of his disappearance and then <gasps> left in the woods of Wisconsin well, to then would have be been found. Like an autopsy and that would have told us. I know. If there was like any scars or Ooh, actually, I I I don't there is an autopsy. What? Yeah. The autopsy at Waukesha County did not show any bruises or injuries that would suggest foul play. Oh man, give me that? I know. Oh, I should say, though, that the cause of death could not be determined. Yeah, There's no, not a sure. lot of information regarding that moment in time because, again, this was a John There's, Doe. This, you know, yeah. it wasn't, we didn't know it was him until now, 10 years on. There's a thousand ways to kill a person. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, again, just, just a little bit of information. Mm-hmm. 
So there wasn't like major, there wasn't like signs of struggle. Yeah. That's what we're getting at here. And it does seem, again, Christian's right. We don't know the gritty details, but we do know that the body had been in the elements for at least long enough that potentially signs of foul play could be long gone, hard Mm. to, hard to see. So there is some level of decay in play. It's just on the record, hard to get into. Okay. This looks like it has been two years since this body had been found. This looks like it's yeah. been one winter. So those details fall away. Yeah. Some have suggested that Stephen Cull, who called Unsolved Mysteries with information, may have been involved in the foul play in some sort of way. What? But there's no evidence besides his strong memory of Tin's clothes. So it's almost just like going, you're the only person who's stepped into this arena. Yeah. This guy, right? That would be so frustrating. If, like, right. You found I'm just trying to help over here, man. Trying to help, and some <laughs> random is like that guy. That guy could. That guy probably did it. They're mm-hmm. probably involved. I'm like, you back the hell off. Like, you know what? I didn't you know, find anything, you know, and I don't remember anything. You know nothing about nothing. Just throwing random stuff out yeah. there. All right. Now this opens up as we do to the internet. The recent theory. Yeah, I read it. In September of 2023, a Reddit user went online and posted that they had information regarding Tim Molnar's case. Now, because of the nature of this particular story, I'm going to keep it very high level because there is no way to verify, validate, or even debunk what this person is saying. So I'm going to keep it very high level so as not to add weight to any false information because I do not want to miss, I don't want to spread any, this is someone's claims. So they went online and they said that they had reported this information to the FBI though they were uncertain if anything was done about it. Basically, they're claiming that they have family ties to a neighbor who lived across the street from Stephen Cull's family and that they had known of this body in the woods and it had a nickname, Monches Skeleton, which Monches was a village five miles from Merton, basically indicating that this was a known body in the woods, which immediately stands out as a red flag. Why would you not report it? Why would it have a nickname to it? Right. It's called a skeleton, but I don't know if that's the condition it was found in. Long story short, they're claiming that someone in the area where this, again, this mutual family or friend mm-hmm. nears, lives near Steve Cole, there's another person nearby who has an active criminal record. And that that person, again, I'm staying high level, because I don't want to slander anybody. Yeah. This person was a, a, a proven criminal. Like they have an actual a registered record. history, yeah. a record. So they're theorizing that that person might have been in play with the foul play. Again, I'm being potentially frustratingly vague because again, we don't have any official no support to this. To this. Yeah. There's very little weight to some things and it's just trusting the word of somebody online who, again, I don't want to spread misinformation. But... That is kind of the theory that they expanded on in late 2023. It's very weird. It is very weird. It's very weird. There's a body there that we all know about. Now it's been there long enough to have a name. And then there's also like someone that has a a rap sheet that lives in the area. They did it. Like mm-hmm. it's just I don't know. I feel like it's just someone on the internet right. just right trying to piece together a really poorly told the story. only right. The only thing to confirm in this particular story is that one particular criminal that they pointed out is in fact a real person Mm -hmm. who does have a criminal history and they are very registered. So you can see all of that. Mm -hmm. To me, I'm being maybe a little cynical here, but it could have been somebody who, again, when we did the Zodiac case, this is what always stands out to me. People go, ah, that's me. I did it. I did it. Yeah. Sometimes people just want to be involved with cases, you know, for whatever their motivation might be. Yeah. Yeah. And so maybe this person just went to Wisconsin and found anybody because there are registered offender lists. I'll just leave it at that. You can find online, you find the nearest person, and then you make up a story and finger point. So I'm not trying to protect anybody here, but I am trying to say that this story lacks a deeper validity or support to it. Yeah. Without which I'm I am reluctant to go any further on. Yep. But I did want to at least kind of open the door to. Interesting, but I don't yeah. buy, I don't buy it. Yeah. yeah. I think that does bring us back to the theories of runaway and foul play. I think the I frustrating. Think thi- yeah. It's, but the thing is, just how it ties together at the end. I don't know. Like, right. you run away and then wind up in 
this neck of the woods. Yeah. Uh, it could be that you ran away and then an accident happened, or you ran away uh, and some sinister individual happened, right? Or it's just for the sake of the family, it's it's heartbreaking. Yeah. You know, they'll they'll probably never realize what the true story was. No. But it's Is but it's one of those form of closure though. They found right. them. Yep. And they're out there thinking that like, what are we suffering? Uh what if they're living a great life without us and you know will he like, come home like yeah oh, will so he the, come home so some of those questions can move on are answered right but it it will be i'm sure in another sense frustrating for forever as to not really know what happened to him yeah but it is a cold case that will forever titillate the true crime investigators out there the the, yeah. the enthusiasts who want to close these cases and try to find answers yeah you know We'll never, it's, it's the interesting one because we have the bookends. Yeah. Dang. Unique in its own way. But yeah. that is the disappearance, the case of Tim Molnar. And with that, I want to once again echo back to something we teased somewhere in the middle there. Uh, the oh, Red Web yeah. Book Club. If you want this podcast ad-free, if you want some exclusive content such as our book club where we talk about all sorts of horror media, pop culture, yep. movies, comic books, graphic novels, and everything in between. We also have some behind-the-scenes content, sometimes deleted mm -hmm. scenes, etc. It's essentially our Patreon, and you can get all of those things by supporting us by becoming a first member at redwebpod.com slash first. Sign up for a year, get a whole, like, two months free when you buy that year all up at once. Yep, yep, um, yep. You guys, yeah. You guys wanted me to uh, to host something, so... We flipped the script. Yeah, flip, Fredo hosts. I love it. The script. Is, I'm hosting it. Um, it's a dark graphic novel under DC's Black Label, mm -hmm. and it's just about a guy named Walter that brings all of his friends um, from high school and college to a lake house. They, his friends discover that the world is ending. Uh, people are melting all around, and as they try to leave, their friend that they've known forever says, you can't leave. The world is dead. And I built this place for us. And that's your hook. And that's it. The first three episodes, explore <laughs> that graphic novel, four issues at a time. Read along with us Friday, March 1st, 2024, so you don't even have to wait that long. Again, redwebpod.com slash first, after which we're exploring some movies, yes, we some will. perhaps TV shows, mm -hmm. all sorts of things are on the table. We'd love to hear your suggestions, yeah. but... As much as we love mysteries, you know we love movies. Uh, you know we it's love a, it's horror the media. Excuse for us to go out and watch the latest horror movie, then yeah. come back and talk about it. And you guys have been wanting more content. First members, we want to give you guys more to chew on, and so here's the meat. Yeah. Also, I God, I just I need an outlet for all these like horror movie things because my fiance is not a big horror buff. Yeah, I love I get to geek out with we you guys and Jillian. Yeah. Face reveal, Jillian. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. I'm so excited to make stuff with her as well. Yeah, there's but, some good found footage movies that we need to watch. Oh my God, Greg is giving me to watch Greg at some point. John, man, that so great yeah. one. Yeah, so that one. Anyway, this has been Red Web. Thank you all so much for your support. It would mean the world to us if you became a first member. And if uh, and if you want, there's a free way to support us by giving us a review wherever you listen to us, whether it be Apple, Spotify, anywhere else. Otherwise, Fredo, I'll see you right back here next Monday for another mystery. <laughs>